Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. You're locked on Fast Break Friday on the V-Show. Presented by AL81. AL8, the drink of tomorrow. AL8, a new kind of taste. AL8, the drink of tomorrow. AL8. It's from another place. Crisp, clean, L8. Bang. Emanating from the ESPN Louisville studios and heard throughout the Commonwealth on the PNV Network. Who in here trying to start a Hey, glad to have you with us. It's Fast Break Friday. As many of you know, in uh, Louisville and elsewhere, first hour of our program also goes into Lexington, and I would think that uh, that particularly is going to be of interest today, as put, well, along with Paul Rogers, Bob Valvano here, Fast Break Friday. We are going to be joined by Rex Chapman, who, along with our friend Seth Davis, uh, just penned a book. And uh, unfortunately, I, I only got back from our various travels uh, late yesterday, and uh, I'm not Evelyn Wood, so I can, I don't know, it's a reference people don't even remember. Speed reading. The Evelyn Wood speed reading course. Uh, but the book is called It's Hard for Me to Live With Me, a memoir. Rex Chapman wrote it with our friend Seth Davis. and It's uh, it's uh, what you might want to call a tell-all. Wow, he, well, he's courageous. You know, he's really, and I, I don't say that lightly. You know, I immodestly, I think I can make people laugh, but I did one week of doing stand-up comedy, and I'll never forget... One of the things I won't go into detail of it, but you learn is that if you really do that, you got to have some balls, for lack of a better word, because you you can't you can't be worried about every word that comes out of your mouth. I mean, because and frankly, uh, it it takes a certain amount of of uh, willingness to to expose yourself and other people in your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, and so it's like I just I didn't think I could do it. This book is that he is he is. And he's not just like telling stories about this one or that one or that one or that one. He is really uh, ex- exposing himself in ways that are um, got to be painful in a way. There's so many things I do want to ask him about it because it's uh, it's uh, remarkable. I love the me. title to me kind of yes. puts it out there. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you, you realize the, the anxiety. He's a guy that grew up with a lot of anxiety and um, uh, it's um, it's how he really it's it's a really telling but i'll say this to how much of a, how naive i really was because when i keep in mind when he was playing i had just started my coaching career i didn't realize everybody was getting paid then no i didn't either i mean and it was you'd it, always hear stuff yeah, but there's like no everybody's just telling it was stories. routinely going on everywhere and in hindsight and didn't realize that so um i hate to say this but we've it was non-nil uh, well <laughs> we got rex Chapman. All right. Well, we got it straight. Hello, hello. Rex, thank you so much for being with us. Bob Valvano, Paul Rogers, and I really appreciate you taking some time for us. How are you today? 
Bob, Bob, Paul, how's it going, guys? We're doing okay. Uh, I, I, def- I definitely want to, obviously, visit about this book, but I want to do it kind of backwards if, if we can. Like, where okay. are you right now with everything you've gone through? Would you call yourself happy? Are you in a happy place right now? How do you approach your life? <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever happy. I try to fool myself into be happy, into being happy. Uh, I'm, I'm as good... I, I'll say this: I'm as happy as I've ever been. Really, I'm uh, uh, as functional, at least as an adult, as I've ever been the last nine years. And you know, I'm on time. I'm uh, conscientious. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would consider this stage of my life right now. I, I would say I'm pretty happy. All right. Do you have a cold? <laughs> you sound a little uh, bit gravelly. No. I wonder if you might have a cold. I don't. Well, that's <laughs> been it's been a long couple of days uh, of interviews. Uh, yeah. Talked out. That's it. I'm yeah. sure it has. I, I you know, <laughs> I, again, you know, if you do an interview like this, and based on your book, you're fearless. You'll you'll you'll, you'll answer anything. So I'll ask you though, how much yeah. of your day is from what I read about people who've gone through rehab, like you have, is mm-hmm. one day at a time. Is that what governs your life? Is get me through this day, or I, I, you know, no. Most, Okay. No, no, it's it's not. You know, I I for years thought I had uh, opioid withdrawals when I was I actually had ulcers and the opioids were both causing the ulcers and masking their pain. Oh, okay. So you know, I'm kind of you know, still ticked off that uh, no doctor thought to check that for 14 years, but. The second they gave me ulcer medication, I never had anything else that I ever felt like withdrawal. Um, I use medical marijuana uh, daily and uh, have an occasional Coors Light on ice once or twice a month. So um, I I don't govern myself by, you know, one day at a time. I consider myself clean. I don't ever claim to be sober i'm uh i don't know if i'm the model or poster boy for recovery but uh i'll say that uh i'm as functional as i've ever been where where are you living now i mean i don't need your address but but are you uh what what state are you living in now i live in phoenix okay are you working for the suns do you you, because i know you were for a while you're still doing that yes yep yep uh senior personnel for the sons and ambassador uh whatever they need well, good <laughs> vice well, president of nothing do you still keep up with uk on a regular basis oh yeah of course uh yeah kidding me <laughs> let me let me ask you uh, paul paul's asking the 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 uh, basketball question I'm, <laughs> I'm getting I'm, I'm i'm playing the mike wallace role okay what what did you get out of rehab um, <laughs> rehab was everything. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned in the book that, you know, I, when I was in the last time, uh, the first two times I went in, I really didn't delve into anything. I, first of all, I wasn't honest in therapy. You know, I was still full of pride. And when I got into rehab the last time in Louisville, uh, at the Brook, um, it, it I, I was just rock bottom. I was broke. I was broken uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially. Uh, and 
you know, if if you're going to live at that point, you better start <laughs> figuring out why you're doing the things you're doing. And from that moment on, actually, shortly after I got out of detox, I mentioned in the book that uh, Rick Patino showed up and I I go back, I was 15 the first time I met Rick and we were neighbors in Lexington the whole time he was coach at UK. I, I consider him, you know, as much my coach uh, as anybody. So I came out of detox and I, uh, they said, you have a visitor. I didn't want any visitors. I was, didn't want to see anybody. Mm. I was ashamed of everything and everyone, you know, I knew everyone was embarrassed. I, I felt like everyone was embarrassed that I knew. And Rick was there with Vinny Tatum, his assistant, who I know you guys know, a longtime friend. And the second I saw them, I just, I hadn't cried about anything in years. I just burst into tears. Mm. And I could uncontrollable tears. And, you know, through the crying, you know, Rick and Vinny finally were able to make out that I was saying I'm effing toxic. Nobody's ever going to want to talk to me again. I've ruined my children's lives, my my wife's life, my life, uh, all my friends whose kids have looked up to me. It's, you know, my life's over. And Rick, uh, Rick said, listen, you're going to eat a lot of for a while. And, uh, you know, at first it's going to be a big beach ball size <laughs> ball of crap. <laughs> right. And he's, and this is somebody, this is a guy, and I don't know if you, you guys know this, but this is a guy who's been through some things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Telling me this. And, uh, he said, and soon enough, if you keep doing the next right thing, that beach ball, Size ball of crap is going to become a basketball. Do the next right thing; it's going to become a softball, or a volleyball, then a softball, and then a baseball, and then you do the next right thing, and it's going to be a, a golf ball, ping pong ball, a pebble, and then before you know it, it may take some time, but before you know it, when people see you, that's not the first thing they're going to think about, and. Over the last, you know, nine years, it it had gotten that way until this book, of course. But it had gotten that way, and he was, I, and you know, honestly, I've probably had people try to intervene in my life for years to get me to do something, uh, to get me to stop gambling, um, to get me to stop taking drugs, and I just, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it, and. Uh, I wouldn't have, I have some close friends that say, you know, man, getting arrested was the best thing ever happened to you because something was going to happen. And you, you, you know, it, it was, I wouldn't have preferred this for you, but something had to happen. So at this point, I'm just very grateful and thankful to be here. Rex Chapman's with us. The book is called It's Hard for Me to Live With Me. He wrote it with our friend Seth Davis. It's a very courageous book, and I don't say that lightly. I give you incredible credit. You had to really dig deep. Um, I know Paul's got another question, but it seems like a logical yeah. follow-up to what I just said. How painful sure. was it for you to write this? Uh, it was awful. Really? <laughs> it was awful. Uh, 
I was talking to, to to Seth the other day, Seth Davis, who great, you know, co-author of the book and did all the heavy lifting. Um, you know, at first someone asked me how long did it take, and I said, well, it took a couple years, and I got thinking about it, and it, no, it took four years. Wow. Because we started right at the beginning of the pandemic, mm. and that was four years ago. And Seth called me, Simon & Schuster bought the book, and you know, he called me about, we'd been in into it for about eight months, and I was just hating all of it. It was it was painful and you know a lot of crying Ugh. a lot of just just emotional stuff and uh he called me one day and said hey i've got a favor to ask i said what he said i've got a time sensitive book that i can do that you know i'm wondering if you would wouldn't mind putting us on the back burner for a few months and i was like are you kidding me i hate talking about this stuff. <laughs> go for it and uh i I said, uh, he said, yeah, it's uh, Sister Jean. Uh, mm. And I said, oh, Seth, that's really sweet that you think I'm going to outlive Sister Jean. <laughs> 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 that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you've got confidence. You do believe in me. <laughs> her, her journey's slightly different than yours, Rex. Just a bit. Yeah. Just, uh, having, yeah. having read that book. Gone from one, ex- one extreme to the other. <laughs> hey, Rex, whether it's depression or drug use or any yeah. number of things, can you yeah. pinpoint the beginning of all that? Who? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I think I can. You know, we never know. I, I, I don't know. I uh, this is the hardest part to talk about for me because, in, in some regards, a lot of it's hard, but this is one of the harder ones. So, um, when I was in high school, I was my my first real girlfriend was a girl named Sean Higgs, who we're still very good friends. Her brother Mark Higgs, who played at Kentucky, he was a year older than we were. Uh, we all grew up together. And uh, in Owensboro, all same friends. I, uh, but we just liked each other from just uh, you know, just high school sweethearts. And uh, very quickly, I realized that um, if he, a lot of people didn't like that, didn't like us dating. And uh, I was very, very confused. I didn't understand at all what was going on I, I like I I know you might be hearing that but like I really didn't I, I could not understand mm-hmm. what was happening this is a girl I don't I don't what are you telling me and so I had a like at that point I, I do remember thinking oh my god everybody's just been lying about everything mm-hmm. you know People, you do, oh, apparently people do see color. I I hear people saying that all the time. I've lived my life that way. My parents, everybody, and it really messed me up. Well, Sean and I continued to date, but we kind of, well, we did sneak around uh, for the most part. But, you know, all kids know everything. It was all the adults that, you know, a lot of the adults didn't know, and it was like this dirty little secret, and then we went to UK where 
at that point, we both were under the impression, we both went there that we were going to be, uh, you know, this is a big city. And, and again, I know that might sound funny to, to you guys, but, you know, coming from Owensboro and, you know, that's for Kentucky, that's a big city. It's mm-hmm. 50, 60,000 people. And we have a pretty big black population in Owensboro, probably bigger than, you know, other parts of the state. And so going to Lexington, you know, I, in my world, is like going to New York. And I just assumed, and I had been given assurances by, you know, coaches at UK that that was not going to be an issue because I, I was, and it was something also, guys, that every every school that recruited me knew about. Every school. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I know you guys. Everybody knew it was like this. You know, it was dumb. It was dumb, and I, I hoped and prayed every single day that somebody, some media person, would write about it, or somebody would photograph us to, so that someone would have to explain. So when I got to UK, uh, we'd been there for a very short time, and Sean and I walked to class a couple of days, and I got called into the office and. Eddie was in there, uh, James Dickey, Dwayne, they were all in there, Casey, and, and Dwayne is my guy. James Dick, Dickey is my guy. I love these guys. But at the time, Eddie was Eddie was obviously being told by someone, Boosters, administration, that Sean and I didn't need to be seen in public together. So I, at, for, I, I when that happened, I looked at Dwayne and, and – Dwayne was a young black assistant at the time. One of the first. He, this was not a battle he could fight. He he just looked at me and because he knew. He, I mean, hell, Dwayne and his girlfriend and me and Sean used to. I used to go over to their house to cook out to mm-hmm. get away. That was one safe place for us to go. And so he looked at me in that moment because I really I, I I just I started getting hot like I I couldn't un- I was it was kind of a little panic attack now I know now that I I was very upset and uh, Dwayne looked at me and he gave kind of gave me this nod of assurance like it's okay just get out of this meeting survive this meeting and I said I you know I looked at Eddie and I'll never forget just saying yes sir. Like a a coward. uh, You were 19 years old, Rex. What were you supposed to do? Well, I didn't know, guys. I didn't know. I felt, I really felt trapped. And uh, so I got out of there and, uh, you know, I knew I had to go tell Sean. And you have to understand that, uh, you know, I know what I'm telling her. She knows what I'm telling her. It's not that they're saying we can't date. It's saying it's that every, all these people are saying you're not, you're beneath me. Mm-hmm. You're you're not good enough to be dating me. Mm-hmm. And I knew how bad it was hurting me. I cannot fucking imagine the pain. Yep. And so that night I went home and it was hard to go to sleep and I woke up the next morning and I couldn't move. I just couldn't move. And listen guys, at this time, everything is going great in basketball. I don't have a worry in the world. You know, I'm a freshman, I've got defensive issues and all that, Bob, you know, all that's 
basic sure. stuff. Right. But I'm, you know, I'm averaging 16, 18, 20. As a freshman, I didn't I didn't think I was going to play. My dad thought they might redshirt me. So all of that's great. The basket, that's no problem. And it, honest, people call the basketball your sanctuary. It, honest to God, was the one place I was happy, happy, happy. And I, I didn't think about anything. So I probably, you know, did it more, too, just to escape. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then, of course, I was a bad boyfriend. You know, they're telling me not to see my girlfriend, which it almost like I, I didn't have any coping skills. So I thought almost well, that almost just gives me a license to just go out and sleep around. And, you know, there, I can't be around Sean until nighttime. Uh, there, we got to sneak around when we do it. What the hell else am I going to do? I hate school. I, I have to not drink. I have to not smoke pot. I have to not smoke cigarettes. I have to not do cocaine. And I didn't do any of that. I didn't have a drink till I was 22. Teammates in the NBA couldn't have a beer in our locker room because I was a minor for a year. <laughs> so I, 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 I just felt trapped. You know, at the time, if you asked me if I was happy, I would have told you I was, and I would have thought that I was. You know, we were just kids, but it was very difficult to negotiate that. And so the next morning when I woke up, I, uh, sorry, I'm rambling, but I woke up and I had had, I couldn't move at all. And I, I felt something was very wrong with me. Uh, psychologically and uh, I yelled to Reggie who's my roommate Hanson and I said Reggie go get Dwayne something's wrong with me I need to go to the hospital and and Reggie darted up out of the bed and ran to get Dwayne who actually was I think he was living in the lodge that first year Mm. as the assistant coach and Dwayne came running he came in said what's wrong I said I don't know I need to go to the hospital and he said, he said, sent Reggie to go get Dwayne or uh, James. James came over. I heard them over on the side huddling. And they, they didn't, you know, look, this is Lexington, Kentucky. This is in that era. I, they were, they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And they were afraid to take me to the hospital because they didn't know what was wrong with me. It didn't look like it to them. They just thought I'm having a, an issue. But if they take me to the hospital, what if they put me in the psych ward? What if, you know, the media, why is Rex in the hospital? Right. What? Um, so their, their solution <laughs> that I think about is it's, it's sad, but it's funny, too, is they told Reggie to go get Sean. Oh. And and we they got me to the car. They got Sean. She lived in Blazer, right across the street, Blazer dorm. And in the middle of the day, morning, they put us in the car and took me and her to Don Johnson's farm out of uh, Bryan Station Road, way out past where my grandmother lives. They put me in the bed out there. Don and his wife Linda knew about Sean and I. They did not give a shit, and I love them to this day for this. I mean, I love. I mean, it just means the world. You you can understand this means the world, right? So 
they they took care of me for two days. Mm. I missed two days of practice, and uh, they they told my teammates I was sick. You know, Reggie Reggie assumed I was sick. Um, I got I woke up two days later. I was over it. Uh, Sean missed two days of class. Wow. They came and got both of us. Dwayne took us both back to the dorm. I went to practice. And when I tell you guys, I didn't remember that until we started writing this book. Really? Uh, wow. I, until we started writing the book. And then about six months ago, I, and I've never had a panic attack or anything close to what I would consider that in my life since then. And about six months ago, when we were wrapping this up and getting into some of this stuff, I did it again. Oh, gosh. And uh, fortunately, my, my girlfriend, Whitney Lawson, was there. Uh, Steve, Steve Lockmuller's daughter, by the way, uh, who you guys probably know. Mm-hmm. Um, and she took care of me for a couple of days, and I bounced out of it, but... It's been hard, and again, I love Sean. She's she she's we're still the best of friends. I feel it's hard for us to be around one another because we've been through so much. Sure, um, but I, I'm just telling you this to try to let you know the frame of mind I was in while I played at UK. Rex, that's gutsy, and I appreciate it. Paul Rogers, Bob Valvano with Rex Chapman, co-authored a book with uh, Seth Davis, which I uh, I mean, I, is it okay to say I'm enjoying it? Because a lot of it is painful stuff, but it's a very, it's a fascinating read. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, though, was, you know, I don't think my producer son is going to mind me mentioning this. We have had in our family some anxiety attacks. It's something he deals yeah. with, and 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 I, right. you you talked about early in the book. One of the things that I thought this was where you were going to go when you started to answer Paul's question, you said you woke up oh, one really? day and recognized that someday your mother and father are going to die, and there's right. nothing anybody can do about it, and it was a certain sense right. of, you know, what almost like, what's the meaning of life? We're all going to die anyway. Yeah. So, and, and, I've had that my whole Okay, whole well, that's what I was going to ask you. So how have you, how have you worked through that? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that probably started, you know, me in a, a vicious cycle of trying to escape my brain. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned in the book, and as you guys know, athletes are weird in general. Coaches are weird. We're, we have routines. Um, you know, some guys punch each other in the chest. And some, hell, I had a teammate that had, I, I promise you, he had a little OCD, but I had a teammate that had to lick the, the basketball floor before he stepped on the floor. <laughs> Sorry, so, I, I mean, right, right. You know, uh, wiping the shoes and it, it just so many weird things. Well, my dad, when he got nervous before games, and it, he would talk to his team, and then he'd go in the bathroom stall in the locker room and stick his finger down his throat and throw up. Well, he he didn't ever have anything in his stomach, really, so it was a lot of dry heaves, and he'd come out of there, and he'd go coach. Well, you guys remember Jeff Jones, right? Of course. Je- yeah. So Jeff Jeff played for my dad, and this is kind of – this is not in the book, but it probably should have been. Jeff, Jeff was a 6'5 point guard, and he was a freshman my dad's first year of coaching high school basketball as a head coach. And my dad – Jeff's dad coached at Westland, Bob Jones, great coach. And my dad just beamed about Jeff 
all the time. And I was a kid, like eight, nine. And he, he loved Jeff, but also he chewed Jeff's ass out. And, and But he'd talk about, boy, Jeff is a smart player to my mom or to me. And, you know, so Jeff's my idol, right? right. And I want to be just like Jeff. And so we got a third grade championship game at, at Tamarack Elementary School in a cap. It's also a cafeteria that doubles as a gym. And so a uh, third grade game, and I go in there, and the student body's in there, and I go in, and my dad's whole team from Apollo is there. And I walk out for the jump ball, and I hurled my breakfast <laughs> all over half court. I'm going to jump center. There's so much bacon and eggs and milk and orange juice. Oh, gosh. That, and, I, and I am embarrassed. Like I'm, embar- I'm also it without a que- without question the best player in the school. Like I have to go to middle school play- players to play against good competition. I'm in the third grade. Wow! So, uh, and I've hurled all over everything, and I'm really embarrassed. And they came out with one of the wet mops, cleaned it up, all that. I felt so good after that that I don't even remember the game. I bet I had 50 points and we just it, and but right then and there I'm a puker oh, and gosh. for the game I'm going to puke. I'm going to I learned that I couldn't eat a lot or I had to eat early in the day so that I wouldn't really throw up much of anything. Uh, so I was you know I'm I was probably it's probably also a reason why I weighed 160 pounds when I got to college. So I I uh, but I did that. I, I threw my I, every every game, middle school, high school, uh, college, and my first really year and a half, two years in the NBA. I did that, uh, and and I felt great. As soon as I did it, I felt great. It was just a routine that I got into, and that's that's crazy. <laughs> we, that's we, crazy. We and, all love routines. And so and it is anxiety, yeah, and I've. Yeah. Ne- I never put it, you know, I just never put it together. And it started from such a young age. And you got to remember, guys, I'm being praised for being a good player and being, he just loves the game. He's obsessed by it. Well, no shit, I'm obsessed by it. Obsessed by it. It's consuming everything. I'm so one-dimensional, I can't think of anything else. Yeah. So that's how I did it. Yeah. uh, There's... There's a zillion different directions we could go here, but I'm, but I'm curious about one thing. When you were going through these hard times at UK, uh, I know you had a, a pretty good relationship with Denny Crum, and I'm wondering if you ever spoke with By him, way, if you those, ever considered those. transferring to Louisville or looking at anything like that. <laughs> oh, man. So um, while I was sitting in that meeting, that first meeting, I – my first instinct I'm in there by myself I don't have a parent in there I'm 18 years old and uh, um, the second that he said it and the second I looked at Dwayne and he gave me the look like just try to get out of this meeting don't say anything I immediately thought I'm transferring to Louisville and because we'd love to have you Well, well, look, I, and I love UK. As I'm sitting here, I know there's people. I love UK. I, I, I love Louisville, too. Hell, you know, I, I grew up watching Daryl. He's my idol. You know, all those teams with Denny. But, but I love UK, and I loved beating you guys. I loved beating Louisville. 
I root for Kentucky. I root for Louisville every night unless they're playing us. So I love my school like that. My school at the time might not have been very good to me, but I love the people there. Mm. And most of those people, most if not all of those people are gone. A lot of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably wouldn't have talked about a lot of this stuff in the book that I do had the NIL not come out in the last couple of years. Because yeah. those are just some things that you just didn't tell. There was a code. You just didn't tell them. You, you, guys, you guys know this. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was very confused. And, yeah, there were, cause I, there were more meetings like that that I had over the I probably had a half dozen of those meetings with coaches and then it got Dwayne was only in maybe one of them and for good reason you can imagine sure and you can't imagine how many times I wanted to you know go say yeah you know what guys let's go talk about this in front of the team and see what you know <laughs> and here's the other thing here's the other thing that really angered me all of my black teammates are dating white girls what, what's going on here? Wow. You see this happening? I don't understand. Can you guys answer that one for me? No, no, no. No, we cannot. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. What, what is it? What yeah. was it? Yeah, well, you, you, know, you, 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 you touched on it earlier. You know, you told that story in the book. The reason it read, I was, you know, I don't even know these people. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't, have, they couldn't have their... Yeah. All American white white player. Yeah, dating a black girl. Absolutely. But you you kind of touched on how you were raised, and I thought you're like I said, I've never met your mom, but when she, you were telling that yeah. story about when the Black Entertainment Network came out, she taught you that little lesson, which right. I thought was so brilliant. Yeah. You want you want to tell that story? I think that was really good parenting on her part. It was very good. Oh yeah. So I you know I'm a kid, and uh, uh, a Black Entertainment Television came out. I don't know. I was probably ten or twelve. I'm guessing in uh, BET. And uh, I remember, you know, just kind of being like, wow, that's kind of bold, you know. And I said, black entertainment television. And she said, uh, yeah, why do you think there's not any white entertainment television? And I, you know, stumped for a second. And I said, well, I think that's all we have. <laughs> and she said, she said, you got it. <laughs> and so, no, my mom's the best. If you have, and my mom, at my mom and dad, their best friends are Clem and Yvette Haskins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clem Haskins, the All-American at Western Kentucky, played in the NBA for a long. They're the best of friends. My mom and Yvette go back. Oh, they go back to when they were in school at Western as teenagers. Um, uh, we, my sister and I, were raised. You know, my sister, she's married to Keogh Sanford, who played football at UK, black run, uh, wide receiver, kick returner. Um, my folks are great. My mom was concerned about, she really was, because, you know, I had threats all the time. I got threats. All, she was concerned about my safety. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm her baby. Uh, um it was confusing. It was confusing for me because I don't think I always understood that. Um, so, and my dad, my dad didn't give a crap. He, like he, 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 he wanted, you know, he's supporting his, my parents are supporting one another. My, I don't think I ever even talked to my dad about it. You know, it was, 
it was just something that I handled the best way I could. And, uh, you know, I know my mom, my dad, they wish they would have handled things differently. Um, we all do. I love my mom and dad. And, and I, you know, I know that uh, um, it sounds like my dad is, and he was a lot like Bobby Knight. I, I mean, that's undeniable. Um, but I love him. And had he, I think what happened with my dad, my mom is super nice and she laughs and talks to everybody. And I'm kind of that way. Uh, I'm a socially awkward. I don't want to talk. But I, when I do, I just kind of talk, as you can tell. <laughs> so, um, had my dad—I think my dad saw that I had a lot of physical talent, but that if he didn't, because I did everything pretty easy, or it made it look kind of easy, and I was way better than most of the other players. I didn't know how to play hard. Like, I thought I was playing hard, and I was for high school, but, you know, he knew that I needed to be tougher and that I needed – I think my dad saw that if she didn't intervene, that I would be too nice to mm. play basketball. Mm. Like, to be – yeah, I would fizzle out in college, or and, you know, that my talent probably was – you know, exceeded that. So I, I thank goodness every day he was tough on me like he was. I swear, as far as basketball goes, I know there's a couple of instances in the book that it worked. You know, I had a big game one night, and he said, "I mentioned this in the book. I probably had 45 and 20 and 10." He rarely got to see me play because his teams played on the same nights. It was at Butler County. I remember coming back on the bus thinking. He's going to have to love me up tonight. No way around this one. And, uh, you know, and for sure, I was a junior, and I'm sure I was the best player in the state. I, I didn't, probably didn't know it, but because he didn't ever let me think I was, like, I didn't know how good I was. So I walked in the door. He's sitting there smoking a cigarette, eating a sandwich my mom made for him, drinking a Coke. Didn't look at me. I closed the door loud. So he can hear it. Didn't flinch. I asked my go in the kitchen. Asked my mom, "Is he okay?" She said, "I don't know. Go in there and ask him." I went in. I sat in his line of sight. He's watching TV, and I said, "Finally," I said, "Well, what'd you think?" And he stood up and said, "Oh, you want to know what I think? I want to know when you're going to take an effing charge." Are you ever going to take a charge? Oh, and he said, "Stand up." And I stood up, and he said, "He started." like running into me and my mom came in she said you guys break it up break it up break it up and I went upstairs to my room I'm just in there heated just upset you know and uh, she come, she came up and she put her arm around me and I kind of flinched at her and I said get off me mom if he doesn't tell me how am I going to know and I took up for it <laughs> but you know, you know what's interesting, Rex. I got to ask you about this because I'm intrigued. You, you know, you you spent so much time early in the book 
correctly, I'm sure, talking about, and I don't mean it like arrogantly, but you're just stating matter-of-factly, I was the best player in this grade. I was in third grade playing yeah. with sixth graders. I, I was hate saying that. By the way, I hate saying Yeah, but okay, but it's true. I but then when you were started to get recruited and you said, but my father, who's coaching at Kentucky Wesleyan, you it ticked you off like he wasn't recruiting you. And you asked him, and he said, yeah, well, I think well, you might be too good to play at Division Two Kentucky yeah. Wesleyan. And you were like shocked by that. And yet you no, so no, badly no. wanted his approval. I mean, it's kind of a strange, yeah. don't you think it's kind of an interesting, you knew how good you were, and yet you still didn't think you no. were good enough for your father. That's interesting. To no, me. see, I, I think I, I think there, that's either uh, your fault or my fault for uh, um, not getting it exactly right. Okay. So it, when I was in the ninth grade, when I was in the ninth and tenth grade, I really, you know, I was getting everybody gets recruiting letters. Yes. And at that time, you got to remember, remember, Bob, you couldn't contact sophomores. Right. You know, coaches couldn't call sophomores. Um, so it was very much just, and there were hundreds of letters that came all the time. So you don't really know who's recruiting you unless you're really good. And as a tenth, ninth, and tenth grader, I was still growing into my body, and I, my, I hadn't didn't have any real electric burst yet or any. I was good, but I wasn't, you know, anything special. And I, my dad is coaching Kentucky Westland, and he's recruiting all these kids in our area to go to Kentucky Westland. Guys I'm playing against, seniors and juniors, who are good. You know, I, I'm not better than they are, or I don't think I am at that point. They're beat, you know, they're, they all, hell, I'm barely in puberty. They all got <laughs> hair on their legs, chest, and I'm a skinny little freshman sophomore. So I went through that just like everybody else did. I hadn't grown, I was really good, and then everybody kind of caught up height-wise, and I was small, but I was still really good skills-wise. When I, when I grew, I started getting better, but I still wasn't a really great athlete yet. And so he's recruiting these other guys who are all city, all state players in Louisville, Todd Ziegler and Andre Whitlow and, you know, really good players. He's not recruiting me. And I remember, and I, me and Greg Bond, we used to go to all dad's games, all loved their players. We're, we play against those guys in the summertime, and they kick our asses. So I'm like a sophomore, beginning my sophomore year, and I ask him, why aren't you, you know, I'm as good as so-and-so is over here. And he looked at me like, he looked at me and kind of gave me a, like, he laughed at me almost. And I, I was like, what? He said, Rex, you, you might, you're probably going to be too good to go to Westland. And I, I didn't know if he was joking with me. So it was that. I, he, it was a weird mix. I, of course, at some point I realized, I guess when I, I don't know, I guess when I averaged 20 as a sophomore and started having a dunk in every game, you know, <laughs> that nobody around was doing that. And then the next year, started to get a clue. Huh? Yeah, I, I started to get a clue. And then the next year we, you know, we started throwing a couple lobs every game and nobody was doing that. And we kind of psyched teams out in warm-ups and all of that stuff. So I started becoming aware. And then I think it was also, it became incumbent on him for him to remind me constantly that these coaches like your brother they are 
recruiting you for what they think you can be, right. not what you are. Right. And that he constantly reminded me, you couldn't start for any college team, any division. And this was very true. You guys remember that era. Oh, yeah. As a high school junior and senior, I couldn't have started for a major college team and played basketball, played, successfully played basketball. It was not like that. So he knew he, he was just trying to prepare me for what was coming. No, I was, I, I, just, to be fair, I met your dad. Breath. I wasn't trying to find fault. In I was that, just saying we all, I think, I think we relate to that. All of us want to impress our dads. Yeah. You know, I think that's right. a relatable thing. I think we all, you know, yeah. no matter what happens, we want to hear from him that uh, he's impressed. You know, in that same breath, in that same breath, he would say to me, you know, he would tell me things like, you you might, you know, you're probably going to be too good for for me. And then a week later, I'd come home from a game and he might say, you couldn't play for me at Westland. You know, stuff like that. So it was real confusing. Rex, before we go, if I could change the direction for a minute, I just have a simple basketball sure. question I want to ask you. We can leave on a little more lighthearted note maybe. Mm-hmm. Does Reed Shepard remind you of you in any way on, on the court? Hopefully he's not going through what you were going through, but right. watching his skills and what he has done, does he remind you of you somewhat? You know, he reminds me of his dad and his mom. Jeff, I was telling someone, I've known Reed, I've known Reed since he was born. Jeff came to Kentucky and everybody compared him to me. And I always hate that. I, I thought it was, I, I think it's a, a silly burden and these guys are who they are Jeff Shepard came to UK and he played behind All-American after All-American and he could have left every year and I I put my arm around Shep and I can't tell you how many times I you know he would get upset and I would worry he was going to transfer and I would you know and I'm in the NBA and I come back every summer and I play against Shep every day and I have some great Jeff Shepard stories. The first day of him playing against me and Jamal Mashburn, the first day on campus. I gotta tell you that sometime. But (laughs) Shep was a I told a friend this this morning Shep was a more explosive athlete than I was. Had better feet, uh, quicker feet. He had um, just a, a bouncier body and I that might sound strange he he could jump higher than I could. I just I'm just longer limbed and have bigger hands. That's it. I'm a little bit taller, a hair taller. So and if you think about it, Jeff didn't he didn't take the ball to the basket and rear back and ever really dunk it with one hand. All of his dunks are two handed. Mm. He couldn't really palm the ball like that. Reed came. Reed has bigger hands and he's a little he's longer than Jeff. Reed's mom, Stacy who I knew before Jeff, point guard, steals leader, assists, saw the floor like nobody's business. And I want you guys to hear this. People talk about Reed's athleticism and, you know, well, he doesn't look like Reed Shepard is a great athlete. He can dunk the basketball any way you want it. He, he dunks on breaks. The next thing, the next evolution of his game is he will be dunking it in the half court. That will come. He's built for the game. He's got a great support system. Uh, that family is so rooted in their faith and who they are. And I know they have Reed talking to quality people, um, professional people who uh, I, I love that family more than I can't. I, Jeff's done a lot for me personally, too. So, uh, 
I've told people, whoever would listen, Reed Shepard is undeniable. I've been saying this for two, three, four years. And in fact, the first day Reed, I don't think I've ever told this. They weren't, Kentucky wasn't recruiting Reed. And Orlando asked me if I thought Reed could play there. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He'd been the best player in the state for two or three years already. He was barely a junior. And they and Reed was very close to going to Louisville, uh, Louisville or Virginia, but very close to going to Virginia. And Jeff and I talked, and, you know, hell, Reed's a Kentucky guy, and, and both his parents played there. I told Orlando, yes, I do think he can. Uh, they called um, I, within two days. Jeff called me and said, "Hey, uh, Reed's been invited to go over and play pickup." This is two years ago. He is a rising junior. Uh, Going to go uh, over and play pickup with the guys. You want to meet me over there? I said, "Damn right, I do." So I went over there, and I forget who was on the team that year. They started. They played the game. He's playing with Kentucky guys. He's a rising junior, and. Uh, pickup game gets the steal gets a dunk gets a rebound hits the head jump shot gets another steal uh, makes a little mid-range jumper and I turned to Chef and I said he'd get minutes on this team <laughs> so and that that was it I mean it was obvious 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 well, he has had a, 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 a very, very spectacular start to his career there. There's no question about that. And I can tell you, we talked for an hour, and we didn't. We touched maybe 10% of the book. So if you want to find out more, go find the book. It's a, it's a very courageous piece. I've said that before, and I'll tell you again. And for the people who know you, and I certainly don't pretend I know you very well, but I know you well enough to say we're rooting for you, buddy. Stay healthy. Stay well. Thanks for sharing these stories. And, uh, you know, we, we look forward to when we talk next time i'm sure you're gonna have great success with the book rex thank you so much we appreciate it thanks guys go cat and cards fair enough (laughs) very good thanks buddy appreciate it uh it's it's a (laughs) it's a i can understand he was you could tell he's crying a little bit in our in our conversation this had to be cathartic and painful at the same time because he definitely exercised some demons but i can't imagine wanting to revisit some of the stuff that's in there some of it's funny a lot of it's pathetic, um, but he is fearless. I mean, he tells you it's just right from the opening chapter. They they start the book with him getting arrested, which is we we touched on that. I remember when that happened. He was, he was, was what he was doing. Is he was stealing stuff from an Apple store and taking it to a pawn shop to get money, largely to pay for a lot of his bad habits that were going on, gambling and drugs and all sorts of nefarious things. And he, like he says, he was so arrogant, he wasn't even changing stores. He was going back into the same store and going to the same pawn shop. I mean, and so they caught him, it's on videotape, and then he talks about his time when they locked him up, and it's it's graphic and it's not pleasant. And, um, you know, that seems to be the thing that finally took hold because he learned. It's one of those things, like, it sounds like you learn a lot of things in – in uh, rehab, but you don't necessarily incorporate them until something like this happens when you really hit uh, rock bottom, and that was rock bottom for him. So I hope he stays well. It's uh, it's a tough battle, uh, but he says he's not. He doesn't live like you know the stereotypical addict one day at a time. He so that's good. I guess that's good to hear. Yeah. I hope so. I I'd go back. I remember as a high school player, uh, Apollo and Shelby County yeah. were. 
Are they both undefeated? They were, <clears throat> they were, were the top two the teams. Sweet 16 mm-hmm. games? So yep. did you call his game? Uh, Van Vance not did that game. The Apollo-Shelby County game. Oh, my gosh. And it was the first, you know, they had a blind draw, and it was the first round of the state tournament. And Shelby County won the game and went on to win the championship. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if that was Rex's. Was that his senior year? It probably was. 78, I think. But, you know, I just, I, I knew him as a basketball player for many, many years. I had no idea, none of us did, that all this other stuff was going on. And uh, he talked about, he, he and Denny Crum did have a good relationship. He did like Louisville, but he liked beating them. Well, I'll never forget the year they came in here and he put in, I think, 30 or so, or they won by 30, and he had a bunch of threes. And I mean, they just he, destroyed Louisville here. The Louisville floor. fans, you'll appreciate the fact, though, and I wanted to get to it, but Paul had a bunch of questions. I had a bunch of questions. Uh, he played for Denny on the Pan Am team. I think the Pan Am team, yeah. And Denny was the head coach, and he was very leery because he said, I feel like he's probably going to not treat me fairly because I, he spurned Louisville. He said Denny was great to him and he loved playing for him and he thought he really helped his game because he was playing really at the, against the top competition now in the country. I mean, he had the best players. That's the year they blitzed all the way through some of you might remember this, to the finals and they played the championship game against Brazil and Oscar Schmidt mm-hmm. scored like 46 points. He was making shots that were literally unbelievable and they lost 120 to 115 in the championship game. That was the first time they ever lost yes. that and Denny well, took some heat for that. Well, But that's what happens. The guy <laughs> makes 40 and he was a great, he's in the Hall of Fame, Schmidt. I mean, that's how good he is. So, But he loved playing for Denny and uh you know, it, it's also in fairness. I mean, I can understand why he'd be sensitive about writing some of the stuff if the people were still alive, because he gets into some depth about how Eddie Sutton's. I mean, there's no getting around. It. He was an alcoholic. I mean, if he were here today, he would tell you that that he was. He went to rehab, but before he went to rehab, I, it's almost unbelievable that you could function that way. I mean, he was completely schnockered during practices. He'd fall asleep during practices. He'd fall asleep during games. He'd forget guys' names. I mean, it's 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 not funny. It's sad, and it's just uh, uh, it's unbelievable. And they were still good. I mean, they yeah. were still winning games. It's an incredible story. It's a great book. I really do recommend it. And I think if you listen to Rex, you know, once he gets going, he gave Seth a lot of good stuff to do. But Seth organized it pretty well. It's a very readable book. Not that Rex wouldn't be readable, but when he. Got <laughs> Got going. He really got going. Yeah. And uh, Seth did a really good job organizing. So check it out. Um, we'll take a break and then we'll come back. We got more to come here. Thanks for being with us in Lexington for the first hour because you stay with us for Fast Break Friday. The rest of us go on and we will go on here in Louisville on uh, ESPN 680-1057. Taking care of your family isn't always easy. So we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. 